Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pros and Content Podcast brought to you by Notch, the content intelligence platform. My name is Anda. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Notch, and I'm hosting our data-driven CMO series, during which I will interview CMOs who are ahead of the curve when it comes to both content and data and how they use both to move their business forward. In these interviews, we're going to reveal really unique perspectives on the importance and intersection of measurement and content, but also a ton of fun personal stories and great career advice from these incredible leaders. I hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Data Driven CMO podcast. My name is Anda. I'm a big data nerd, and I'm also the founder and CEO of Notch. And over the last few years, I've made it a point to get to know some really, really smart CMOs who think a lot about the intersection of data, content, um, and how that influences the future of marketing. So today, I'm really lucky to be joined by Steve, who is the Chief Marketing Officer of the University of Phoenix. And just in the few minutes that I've gotten to know him here, I can already tell he is a really funny guy. So we're in for a treat today. Uh, Steve, welcome to the podcast. It's really great to have you here. Thanks, Anna. Great to be here. So Steve, I've looked at your background. Um, I, I know now that you're from New York. You went to University of Albany. And then your career seems to have taken you to Pepsi. And then it feels like you kind of jumped into this world of education pretty early on. So I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about how you got started in marketing, and then how did you end up in, in this world where you're representing um, and really trying to grow the business of a university as famous as the University of Phoenix? So uh, went to Albany, as you said, worked for a couple of years, went back to business school, and then uh, joined Pepsi. And, uh, and Pepsi's where I got my uh, sort of grounding as a, uh, as a marketer, a consumer packaged goods marketer. Uh, and really with, with, you know, the the area that I really, the, the time in my career that I began to understand the consumer. Then over time, I did uh, a series of different things on, I uh, moved into B2B. I did a lot of um, printed digital sort of transformations and startups and things like that, and did that for a number of years until I fulfilled a passion of mine, which is education. And that is something that I've always been involved in personally. And I had a desire to do so professionally at that, that particular point in my career. Uh, so, you know, I actually um, ran marketing for a, what was the uh, largest education company in the world called Pearson, might still be. And then I actually was the CEO of, a, of an online education company that we sold a couple of years ago called Calvert Education. And that's when I joined the University of Phoenix as the chief marketing officer. And I'm sure we'll be talking about that more. As you said, uh, I'm from New York. I actually live in New York in the New Jersey area. I'm from New York originally, but I also live in um, Arizona. And, uh, you know, the pandemic plus Zoom has created this uh, unique opportunity to, um, I'm kind of like a snowbird who works. And, uh, you know, where, where people are from is, um, is less important these days uh, is, you know, as long as your uh, screen works. So two kids and uh, enjoying life. I love that. I'm also a snowbird. I go from New York to LA. I follow the sun as well. There is something to be said, you know, like when it's 110 in Phoenix, being here in the Northeast is nice. And when it's like snowy and cold and cloudy and here in February, it's super duper nice there. So it's not the worst plan of all time. So when people ask you, you know, are you a New Yorker? Is the, the answer is yes, right? That's a hard yes. I've lived everywhere in New York and, um, Roots run deep there, family there, so that's home. 
You know, what's funny is I remember the first time I got to New York and I'm, I'm from a small town in Transylvania, which is very far away. And the first time I got to New York, I felt the same. Um, like this was my this was my place. There's something about the energy of it um, that that I just always want to come back to. And it drains me most of the time as well. But I keep coming back to it. Um, it's a really, really special place. It's, it must be wonderful to actually be from there. Uh, it, it, it is. You know, I do feel like it's a special place. and. You know, it's home for me. You know, when you're raised somewhere, that obviously becomes a, you know, a really special place in your heart. But I also have to say that we love, love, love Arizona. And mm. that's a great place, too. It's a very unique, beautiful place, you know, amazing terrain. And 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 uh, it's just it's physically beautiful and and uh, a different pace to life. You know, we, we, we love it there, too. So we're very lucky. Yes, agreed. Well, I'm curious about this this shift that you talked about between CMO and CEO. Did you did you decide that that, that was kind of time? How did you feel as a CMO that you had the skills to go and be CEO? And then how did you decide to go from CEO into CMO? Tell us a bit about that transition. I'm also curious, actually, what are the similarities and the differences between the two jobs as you talk about it? Well, first of all, and uh, sometimes you can have the grandest of plans, but those plans, you know, get interrupted by life. I would be lying to you if I said that the grand plan was to become a CMO after I had served as a CEO of a company. Um, but life intervened, the opportunity was compelling, and that's what happened. I felt like I was a uh, marketing-oriented uh, person always, but I did think that I was on a general management track in life, generally speaking. And, you know, that that turned out to be the case. There's a difference between being a functional leader and being uh, the, you know, the, the general manager of an, or the CEO of an organization. You know, the buck really does stop there. And uh, and you've got to have a, uh, a very holistic view, obviously, um, that that um, whereas, you know, running a marketing function, even a complex one is is you have to have deeper knowledge a deeper expertise but you know you don't necessarily have to be focused on everything so they're different and um uh you know but but you know the reason uh why when this opportunity came my way i was excited about it was because of a lot of the things that i'm sure we're going to talk about in terms of the intersection of data and 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 other elements of marketing and you know how the world is changing so dramatically and i believe in exciting ways and i'm very attracted to the variety of the role that i'm in i love that you know i love that you know like at, you know, at this point moment of my day where you and i are having this conversation later i'll be talking about a meeting with our head of analytics uh, right after this and we've got a you know, big agenda to cover. And then I'll be looking at creative later than that. And then, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. It's just, yeah. it's just sort of, um, I love that variety. And now more than ever, you know, the marketing function brings that, you know, brings that forth. So it, it's, it's exciting. Yeah, it's, it's evolved a lot, I'm sure. Uh, you know, I, I came into this industry 10 years ago, max, max, maybe even less, but you've seen it evolve a lot, I'm sure. So when, when you first got started, was marketing more of the, you know, kind of madman focus around creative? Yeah, um, yeah. And was there a much larger dependency on agency? 
And now is it more of an analytics function with, uh, with a lot of kind of in-house built functions? How have you seen that evolution happen? I think what you summarized is largely accurate, Anda. I mean, I would say that uh, uh, I'm not going to say when I started a Pepsi, that would be like, just no, that's not going to happen. That's too long ago. <laughs> but um, but uh, I'll date myself uh, terribly here. But, uh, but um, you're right. It was, you know, it just wasn't like it is now. It was, I, I don't know. I guess it sort of was like Mad Men in the sense of, you know, heavy reliance on 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 creative and creative viewed as um you know as 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 the key driver of success um without necessarily having uh the tools at the time to really analyze the the impact but but to say this to be fair when you worked for pepsi a consumer packaged goods you know giant that really was and is reliant on imagery marketing creative probably was the most important thing and still is uh you know that i'm sure someone from pepsi would be a better person to ask that question now but let's say at the university of phoenix and and we put a heavy premium on those kind of things too but it's a different kind of purchase it's a different kind of decision uh to enroll in 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 college you know it's a life-changing high stakes decision and it will not be made on the basis of a commercial alone, but a commercial alone could prompt you to buy a 16 ounce bottle of soda. It won't be the sole determinant drivers, you know, in terms of um, in terms of how we go to market. It's changed very dramatically, as you know. Yeah, I'm curious about this distinction that you mentioned, because um, one of the one of the kind of main insights that I, I think I've been able to have over the last few years is how different high consideration uh, products are from low consideration products when it comes to the marketing org that you have to build and the marketing function that you have to build. Um, and you, you said it, you said it uh, a few minutes ago that basically the decision, the type of decision, the level of research, the level of thought that goes into that decision is very different. So one of the distinctions that you mentioned or the implications of that is that maybe in the case of a low consideration, instant gratification decision, creative matters more because it's very in the moment and you have to kind of hit people over the face with something compelling. In the case of a high consideration purchase, um, I actually think there's a lot of similarities between choosing where you go for college or choosing who you bank with or choosing what car you want to buy or choosing what home you want to buy um, I'm curious, how did you think about the difference between the Pepsi versus versus this world? How did you have to adapt your mind? Obviously, you were at Pearson before, but I'm curious around that as well. And how did you think about your org design as a CMO because of this higher consideration, longer customer journey? Right. So it's a multi-staged decision and needs to be acknowledged and treated as such with respect given to every stage of that decision and um, establishing clear accountability and clear measurement for every stage of that decision. I'm not a big believer in org changes, by the way. Like, I'm, I'm you know, when I, I came in, I made a few um, org changes. When I say that, I mean structural changes. I feel like, you know, when there's constant reorganization, that's sort of like not really understanding what you're trying to do because you got to have 
you got to have a structure, stick to that structure, and then let people thrive in that structure and become collaborative and finish each other's sentences and understand each other, which only comes with great people and continuity. When we came in, we did establish a series of different groups that needed to be, um, that we needed. One was a product marketing function. That was the function that connected marketing to the broader university in a way that it wasn't previously, you know, so connected to our academic organization, connected to, um, you know, our B2B organization, connected to our operations group in, in a much more defined way. We established an analytics function that's critical. You know, we're very, we have a high premium on that. We have analytics functions in marketing, analytics functions in operations, and then we have a you know, data, a data function that sort of is responsible for the actual pipeline and, and, and reporting of it. That's a, that's a very significant investment that we've made as a, um, as a, as a university. Then we have creative functions. We have our, our PR function, which also has a significant content marketing, um, responsibility. We have our, a performance marketing group. They're responsible for the um, implementation of our uh, paid media and primarily paid media, both, you know, like uh, television and that sort of demand generation kind of kind of media, as well as um, demand capture sort of media like search and, uh, you know, other last touch uh, type attribution uh, channels. And then we have our um, prospect experience team. And those are people who uh, are responsible for the, the site and for our the presentation of our ecosystem online. I mean, we are an e-commerce player. So, uh, you know, it's very, very important that the experience be a really good one. So I think I covered the waterfront there. Hopefully I didn't miss anybody. Gosh, that's a lot. So when you think about the stages of the customer journey, I have a couple of just areas that I'm curious about. The first one is how long is the customer journey from from awareness to final decision on average? You know, it's one of those under that the average is not the right answer because it's sort of, there's a dichotomy. So it's like, you know, you ever hear the expression, there's hot tea and there's iced tea, but there's not lukewarm tea. It's sort of, <laughs> there's, either, there's, either, there's either people who make the decision very rapidly, that can happen like in one sitting, or there are people that could take weeks or even months to make a decision. It's not an exact 50-50 break, but it's, you know, it's not 90-10 either. What that means is it depends on the channel in which they come to us that helps us, uh, you know, figure out who you are and how to, you know, how to engage with you on your terms. Uh, and um, some, you know, we're getting better and better at that. You know, we're investing in technology to get better and better at that. Um, personalization is a top priority for us um and you know we've invested in a cdp and and uh uh and have the people with capabilities to utilize it effectively and uh you know that's going to be a, that's going to be a, a driver that it already is a driver for us to to sort of do this better and better i love that so you basically have to cater to pretty different psychologies yeah. Um, and, and figure out a way to engage and pull them through, whether it's a long customer journey or a short customer journey. And yeah. I'm assuming there's also parents involved, right? Do you think about no. influencing parents? No, not really, because um, the way the way we're uh, we're not a traditional college, and we're more of a working uh, adult uh, population. So, so the people who go to our school are typically 
more often themselves parents. Okay. I see. So, so they're financially independent. Uh, they're financially independent. They're, you know, we skew towards women. Uh, they often have children. Uh, they're often single. They're people, they're great people who are trying to forge a better life for themselves and looking for a partner to help them do it. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's so fundamentally, it's why I'm passionate about it. It's so fundamentally good what these people are trying to do and so important. I love that. I love that. So tell us a little bit about your, your data versus the analytics function. It sounds like there are two different functions. Do they both report into marketing or do they report into different places? Uh, the, the data function reports into our strategy function. I don't think there's magic to that, but it, 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 they just don't happen to report into marketing um, uh, because they fulfill other um, functions besides supporting marketing. You know, yeah. they, 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 uh, there's, 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 it's a data-driven institution in many ways, and, and uh, you know, and that group um, supports everybody. But we work really closely with them. Um, within marketing, we have an analytics function that is small but mighty. Not, not a, it's, it's, we want to make it bigger, and we are successfully doing so. It's a crazy market, particularly in, uh, you know, in that with people with, with those skill sets. Um, but we, we have really amazing people, and it's a, uh, it's very much a leadership function for us, you know, in terms of uh, laying out what I'm referring to our marketing analytics group, you know, laying out how we're doing, what our priorities are, how we're performing against our drivers. And, you know, one of the things that we're really focused on is figuring out what's important and measuring that as clearly as we possibly can. You know, there's a ton of data that, you know, this, there's tons and tons of data out there and it can become overwhelming and it's tricky under any circumstance, but you got to separate, you know, what matters versus what matters less. And, you know, we are, I think, getting better and better at, you know, what we call, have you ever heard OKRs, you know, objectives? Yeah, of course. Yeah. They're the Google invented system. Yeah. So, I mean, it's sort of timeless, frankly. It's just like figure out what you're going after and how well you're doing. So it's like, it's a consultant's dream to like, you know, repackage it, I suppose. Well, you know, we call it OKRs, whatever. But, you know, they are key drivers. Sometimes they're process drivers and sometimes they're outcomes, you know, like an input would be something like, uh, you know, how many people are beginning applications and an output would be, total applications completed or things like that. You know what I mean? Like one's a drive, one's an outcome. And we look at both, but we understand them to be what they are. And, you know, I think we have like 10 or 12 that are just like, we look at them every week, you know, we're on them. And, uh, you know, when we meet with our, um, our investors, we share the same exact data. And when we talk to the broader organization, we share the same exact data. So there's real alignment up and down the organization around what's important, what does success look like, you know, what are we trying to do? So you've figured out a way to create alignment between your external stakeholders. And what I mean by external is external to the marketing team yeah. and your internal stakeholders. Yeah. How, how, where do you start? So what's kind of your North Star business KPI? And then how do you break it down for external versus internal so that they understand it in their own way. I don't think we do break it down that differently for external versus internal. We kind of say the same thing and there's power in that. Mm, totally. 
you know, I mean, I suppose you package things a little bit for sure. You know, we do that, you know, so you got to tailor it to your audience. You're right about that for sure. Um, but at its heart, you know, there is a high degree of consistency in what we say to ourselves, what we say to our collaborative partners within the university, what we say to our investors, you know, and then what we say to, you know, other, um, you know, key partners outside the university. And, you know, there's a couple of um, North Star measures, as you rightly know, you know, and they're, you know, the core top line measures that you figure out, you know, I mean, it's like enrollments important for us and retention are important. Those kind of things are either those kind of drivers. And I'm not referring to the academic side right now. I'm just referring to the marketing side. There are, but there are equally critical measures on that end too, and operationally as well. But you establish what those key ones are. And then, you know, as I, as I was trying to say before, like you have a set of, for us, it's a set of like 10 to 12 drivers. And sometimes they're obvious and sometimes they're not. You know, like for us, we, we were pretty aggressive spenders. Uh, we um, also focus heavily on organic. So the, the combination of the two plus you, Investment have created a high degree of awareness for our brand, and uh, you know pretty much everyone knows the University of Phoenix, and that does translate into a lot of traffic for us, you know, in the tens of millions that that uh, that, that come to us. But the key on uh, is to get increasingly more of that traffic to take an action. They've right. taken an action already by clicking, but they need to take more of an action by entering the funnel. And then we need to do a great job of helping them through the funnel through, you know, messaging and value exchange, you know, for, for, the, for their critical information that they willingly provide us in exchange for that value. And, you know, we work closely with our enrollment team that actually is part of what we call an operations function. But, you know, it's like we're, we're sort of very closely intertwined and really work well together. And those enrollment people are like the people who you might speak to. Mm -hmm. getting down to business in terms of making the decision. I really love everything you said. I love the focus that you have on keeping it simple so that everyone can get aligned around kind of one message with the packaging that's needed. I also love how you spoke about this notion of value exchange. I think a lot of brands miss the point when it comes to this. They just kind of think that if you hit someone over the head with enough offers, at some point they're going to say yes. But this is where I think a lot of the you know, magic secret sauces for the brands that do win. And also this is where I think content shines, right? This is how you create a value exchange in this really digital first world is you create content that really brings people value. So switching gears a little bit into the content function, tell me how you've thought about building that, the importance of that, you know, did, did you kind of start it from scratch <clears throat> when you came in or was it already there? No, first of all, I think you summarized it really well. And um, and I couldn't agree more with everything you said on that, that. That's exactly right. And and you know, just to say this out loud, no one really cares about us. You have to make them care. You know, it's like, you know, I tell people it's like people like don't make the mistake that people care about the University of Phoenix. They care about themselves. They care about their challenges. They care about their, you know, their their dreams and their objectives. And it's like. If we we're our job is to help them and they'll decide on their terms whether we can do that or not in their language you know their value and it's up to us to 
think about life through that prism. It, when you do, it's better. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's more honest and more, uh, you know, more realistic. So the part that you were asking about content, you know, I've been here now, I guess, coming up on, uh, on three years and it did not, the content function did not exist within our universe mm-hmm. when I got here. And quite candidly, you know, the first year was kind of like a swing and a miss. Didn't well, have... Was it something you decided to build as soon as you came in? Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, this is, this is where the marketing is going. You know, I mean, this is the future. People want to know stuff that helps them make a decision and they probably trust the paid message less and less over time. So we just need to provide great value to people through content, you know, that um, it's the mark and you need to do a lot. I don't think it's a way to capture demand, but I think it's a way to generate demand. And it may not be a straight line. Like it's like I tell people, it's like, don't always do like maybe a little we can write about the University of Phoenix, but it's more by the University of Phoenix, enabled by the University of Phoenix. We don't have to write everything either. We can corral it. We focus on that a lot. We focus on, you know, creating content outside of our ecosystem and content within our ecosystem. And, uh, you know, we didn't get it right the first year. I think we rebooted it successfully the second and now we're now we're on our way i love how you said that content is a is a demand generator versus a demand capture i think i would also say it's a demand educator right like it's it's a journey driver right so you can you can generate demand but then you also probably use content to to influence those key inflection decision making points and there could be many over the course of even a relatively short period of time um, how have you thought about, I know you're not that, you know, crazy about org design, but, but since you started it from scratch, how did you think about the, the content team's reporting structure and, and also their relationship with analytics and their relationship with ROI? And by the way, just real quick, I ask this because we work with a lot of content leaders and a lot of them come from the editorial world. And in that world, it's wonderful because from a creative standpoint, they just have the ability to to just create high quality and high volume content. But the downside is there's not as much business discipline in terms of measuring the ROI and keeping the ROI in mind as you're optimizing the content. So I'd love to hear how you thought about all of that. So the way we organized it, and there is no magic to this and there's a many many other ways that you could do it and they would all be very defensible the way we did it was that our content it requires a a lot of collaboration let's just say it that way that's this that's the end of the story so our content marketing group is under our um our pr function they create um a lot of the um blog articles that we do and and uh and 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 a lot of that is around articles then there's the content function that is that is within resident within our our web ecosystem that that sort of that function that i was describing worked really closely with our prospect experience team and um, they collaborate to create that the kind of content that's increasingly presented in our on our site. Then there's um, our social team is important contributor and player in this world in terms of amplifying that content through their channels. We have a really excellent social team that was here well before I was and 
performing at a high level and they're really, really very, very good. They drive our content. They develop content on places like TikTok using influencers. And, you know, we're increasingly going to do that on other platforms as well, uh, as well as put out our content into those into those ch channels. Um, and uh, and then our analytics function is, um, you know, very heavily involved for all the reasons that we described earlier. And we work, you know, and, and I, I neglected to say that part of our prospect experience team includes our SEO function, which is that's how you, you know, that that is how how it comes to life in a large way. So um, I'm, I'm sure that sounds confusing and it, maybe it is, but, um, you know, there's probably um, arguments that can be made for or against any sort of org structure. But the point, I guess, that I think is really most important is whatever the org structure is, like, you know, me as the CMO, I drive hard to ensure that these teams are working together. And I don't particularly care who works for who. And I don't think they do either. We're clear about what success looks like and we're in it together. And, you know, it's it feels it's fun. You know, it feels fun to be blazing new territory in the, in the space that we're in. And we're really optimistic about it. But what I like about some of the things you said so far, just to summarize, is one, you you personally are very passionate about the mission of the university and the types of people, you know, quote unquote, as the marketers call it, the persona, uh, the types of people that you get to serve and you get to essentially make their lives better um, by by bringing them a product that you believe in. And I think what, what you're saying is instead of focusing myself and my energy, as well as my, my team's energy on org design and reporting lines and yeah. dotted lines and whatever, why don't we instead focus on the larger purpose that we have and, and really get focused on the KPIs? And I really, really like that, right? Like it's less about the perfect content function or analytics function or data function. And it's more about how do we get shit done? You know, if you ask a lot of people to identify reorgs that work, they would have difficulty doing that. It's not that they're even bad ideas. Sometimes they're good ideas. It's just that there's a high cost to change when it involves people totally. and even good change because it just, it's like, you know, human beings are, such that it just takes time to assimilate that and figure out the new connections. And I think there's a cost to that. And sometimes it's absolutely yeah. required and appropriate and good, but it needs to be done on a very managed basis and very thoughtfully and not all at once. And yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. Well, I think a lot of times it happens more because of ego, right? Like a new leader comes in and wants to leave their imprint versus yeah. versus need. Um, so I really, really like the, the, the fact that you're basically completely taking the ego out of this and assuming everyone else's ego should be taken out and focus on the work. Um, it's refreshing, to be honest, especially for our industry that I, I can't believe how many awards our industry has invented to give to each other. I'm always uh, shocked by that, right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, that's a different topic. That is not something I put a lot of currency in, and, and I don't particularly care if we win. I mean, I guess we there are other people who do so i suppose i care because they care to an extent one thing about our situation is winning and losing is extremely clear mm -hmm. like our accountability there's not a lot of gray mm -hmm. if you lay down what your what your you know core goals are and really religiously measure against those key metrics that we were describing earlier you're either doing it or you're not the mm -hmm. the dashboard is saying red yellow or green it's like it is what it is. 
And uh, there's power in that. And it's power in trying to attach, you know, people and accountability to each of those things. And, you know, I think we're doing that and and um, it's having a positive impact. Well, you know, what, one of the things that I heard about the University of Phoenix, um, I was telling one of our board members who used to run Salesforce and Oracle, and I was telling her that we were talking to you guys and she was like, oh, University of Phoenix, you know, they have this incredible reputation as uh, one of the early adopters of, of new and emerging and important technology. Yeah. So having you guys as a customer for a software company seems to be a signaling mechanism, right? That you are basically choosing what's going to what's going to actually win. And I'm curious, how did you how did you develop that reputation? How do you maintain that reputation? How do you teach your team to not be afraid of change and adopting new things? And I say that because we run into a lot of teams that are afraid. They kind of just choose one big technology stack and they embrace it and they just stick to it um, without really wanting to to mess around with it too much. So how, how do you do that? Well, you rightly note that the university has a history of innovation. I mean, it, well, it was the first major university focused on servicing working adults. And that was probably the first, the first uh, university to really tackle online in a big way. And you're right about that. There's a there's a history there. But at the same time, for a variety of reasons, um, the university is not as big now as it was back in the day. And when that happens, you know, it gives you some degrees of freedom to do things. Mm. And people recognize that, you know, that there could be that, you know, what has worked in the past is not, is not necessarily a guarantee of what's going to work in the future. And uh, especially now, I mean, things are like. I know, the last three years, right? Well, things are fluid and those are threats, but those are also opportunities. And um, I think for us, it's an opportunity to kind of do the things that we're doing. And um, and I think there's a lot of buying into that, both, you know, and at every level. So you got to sell it. You know, I'm a believer in you cannot lead by force of authority. That never works. You know, people will find ways to not buy into that you gotta sell just like you gotta you know sell or market to, to you know prospects students on their terms you got to do that with employees too you do and and you gotta like persu- you gotta lead by force of persuasion mm. how it's like and 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 if you can do that it's so much more powerful you know, people and think about yourself or me or like anybody like when you're when you're you know kind of proceeding in life and you meet someone new, whoever that is, or a leader or whatever, it's like you in your mind, you're gonna decide whether that person has credibility or not. Like, you know, it's no one else's decision. And it doesn't matter what the authority is, or it doesn't matter what the experience is. It's like, does this person, you know, have what it takes or not? And that's a, a decision that all of us make in our own minds silently, you know, probably pretty quickly, but you definitely each, you know, you make those decisions and and the way I believe that you may get authority the day you get the job, but you need to build credibility over time in people's minds. And uh, and there's no better way I've found than to do so by trying to not just say we're going to do X, Y, and Z, but explain why we're going to do X, Y, and Z, and really try to sell them on the merits, and um, and give them the opportunity to push back, fight it out, you know, talk it over, and we do that. And I think a core strength of ours is that people feel the uh, freedom 
in meetings to say stuff, no matter what level they are. And, and, you know, that's a, I think that's good. And, and, you know, we really try to, you know, talk it out in a, in, in, in a way that is honest and equitable and, you know, and on the merits, you know, without a lot of other stuff. And, um, that, that to me is, I love, you know, that we've been able to achieve that. It makes work better. Mm-hmm. It makes, you know, it makes it more fun. It makes it more inclusive. You know, I'm, I'm very hopeful that uh, people in the organization feel that way as well. I really love the the culture you've built, Steve. I think it's 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 an amazing one to 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 witness, to hear about, to see in action through through our own team, um, and something that I personally strive towards as a leader myself. Um, so we're getting to the end. I have one final question for you, which is, what's your advice to someone just starting their career in marketing? A few things. Be you. That was my son. <laughs> my son <laughs> taught me that one. It's like what that means is. I know this is overused. I get it. It is overused, but I'm trying to say it in a way that really people can hear. It's like you can sniff out if someone's being authentic within like maybe two seconds. And you can also see when they're not like, honestly, earlier in my career, I felt like I was a leader who was different at work versus who I really was. And I felt like that came at a pretty high cost and probably, you know, just, I don't know. It's just sort of like people follow people and, you know, be you that inspires loyalty, that inspires teamwork, that inspires camaraderie, it inspires that alignment that you were asking about earlier. You know, you got to be who you are. There's only one of you in the world. Own it. Uh, Two would be, um, you know, I had a good amount of experience um, in marketing, both on B2C and B2B. That was good. You know, and now we're in a situation where we're actually um, it taps into both, but usually it taps into, uh, you know, oftentimes it taps into both. And I, I personally feel like, you know, the way things are going in a lot of respects, you know, the B2B angles are really important ones. So, um, you know, I would, um, I would, uh, you know, pay attention to that if the opportunity presents. I guess the third thing I would say, Anda, is you know, it's no, there's no ladder that doesn't work that way anymore. It never did probably, but it definitely doesn't work that way. Now be aware of the job that you're taking as you progress through your career, especially in marketing. You know, if you're amazing at social and you aspire to be a CMO, then maybe, you know, figure out some data, you know, data oriented role, even if it's not a promotion, don't get hung up on that. It's like, it's a long game and, you know, just fill in blanks, sometimes play to strength sometimes don't overthink it but think it a little bit you know that way and know what you know know what know when you need to have gaps filled and know when you need to leverage strengths and and then the the last thing is be open to the universe um you you know you mentioned earlier about you know me going i was a ceo okay i thought my next job would be a ceo my old boss called me and said he wanted me to be an the interim CMO of the University of Phoenix. We li- used to live in Phoenix. It's like, all right, that's not really in the plan. And I'm not even sure I'm qualified to do that in terms of how marketing has changed so much on the consumer side. They hadn't done, but I did it because it was cool and it was an opportunity and one thing led to another and you know, here I am. So, so be open, 
have a plan, a loose plan, but be open to, you know, to, to life's opportunities and, uh, and, and just, but rec- you know, recognize that sometimes, you know, like it, it's, it's good to have a plan, recognize at times it's worthwhile to be flexible around that. Fair I really enough. love that. And by the way, I don't think it's overused to say to people to be themselves. I think that's a strong message that we have to keep hearing, especially from leaders like yourself. So thank you so much. Steve, this was so much fun. I really appreciated you spending this time and sharing this wisdom with all of us. I really appreciate it. Total pleasure. I enjoyed it, Anna. Thanks for listening to another episode of Pros and Content. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you have any suggestions or feedback, send a note to hello at notch.com. That's K-N-O-T-C-H dot com. Visit us at prosandcontent.notch.com. And we hope you tune in next time. This episode was edited by Douglas Ray and produced by Ellen Schwartz 